Welcome back to Raptor Blog Radio. On the phone, we have a man who is more in demand this time of year than escorts at the Super Bowl, Jonathan Gavoni, president of DraftExpress.com. How are you doing holding up right now, Jonathan? I'm holding up a little bit better than the escorts to the Super Bowl, I think. <laughs> well, I, that's open to interpretation, I suppose. Uh, your first post-lottery mock draft is up at Yahoo Sports. So let's go through your rankings up to the Raptors pick and a little beyond. Naturally, you've got Anthony Davis at the top, but then you have power forward Thomas Robinson from Kansas going second overall to the Bobcats. Do you think he'll be the best player available at that pick, or is this more of a good fit kind of situation with Charlotte? I think that he's the best player available for their... Uh, individual situation just because you know being the worst team in the NBA they they really need a guy that can come in and help them right away and Thomas Robinson being 21 years old being uh, a junior who is you know already a very very productive and, and physically mature player with a real competitive streak I think that that uh, that that's something that they can really use um, at that power forward spot so um you know, I think that you know you're looking between two to five. It's it's really kind of picture poison. It's a it, it's a matter of you know uh, opinion, really, who is the best prospect there. And I think for them, Thomas Robinson really makes a lot of sense. You've got uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist going third, which makes sense because pretty much everyone has him in the top three. But then you have two guard Bradley Beal from Florida going fourth to the Cavaliers. Do you really think the Cavs will pass up on the opportunity to grab a potential franchise center in Andre Drummond at that spot? I'm not 100% convinced of that yet. I think there's still a long process that needs to play out. Uh, I was told that the Cavs did uh, call Andre Drummond's people today already this morning. Uh, so obviously they uh, are not convinced yet of who they're going to pick, and I think there's going to be a long process. If you remember with the Cavs, they didn't really commit to Kyrie Irving either until they actually made the pick. So I think this is going to be a very extended process. But I do think that there is a lot going for Bradley Beal at this spot. There's a, there, there's some good reasons why you would take him. He really would complement Kyrie Irving very well in the backcourt. They both have kind of a similar demeanor. They're both very professional, no-nonsense types. Uh, Beal is a very good shooter. Uh, you know, he can also create his own shot a little bit. He's a good defender. Uh, he's a very high-character guy. So I think that if you're looking to minimize risk, I think that Beal would be a safe pick there, whereas if you're really looking to hit a home run, I think Andre Drummond um, is the way to go. Well, speaking of Drummond, you have the Kings selecting him uh, with the fifth spot. So I'm guessing your rationale is that they wouldn't let a player with his potential slip past them, regardless of the fact that they already have DeMarcus Cousins. Yes, that's correct. And and also I think that he can play with Drummond, I'm uh, sorry, with, with DeMarcus Cousins, just because, um, you know, he's 6'10", but he's, he's one of the most mobile big guys that you'll find. He can move his feet incredibly well. He hedges. Uh, extremely well in the pick and roll, so I don't see any problem for him defending most power forwards. And I think that if you look around the NBA, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that you really need to have a couple of big guys. You can't just have one of them. So uh, you know, Demarcus Cousins is not a guy that can play, you know, probably more than 30 minutes per game effectively. If you have 18 minutes there. And then you have another 10, 15 minutes you can go with at the power forward spot. So I think that you need to have a good rotation of, of three or four very, very high-quality big men. And I think that if you know, you're know you there at five, instead of reaching for someone else, I think you, you go for the home run pick and you take Andre Drummond 
and you just you, you, you figure everything out later. Speaking of big man combos, uh, you've got Jared Soldier going six to the Portland Trailblazers to play next to uh, Lamarcus Cousins, which uh, sorry uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, which makes a lot of sense. Harrison Barnes going seventh uh, to Golden State, and uh, I don't think anybody believes he's likely to fall past there. And then. Uh, with the eighth pick in the 2012 NBA draft, the Toronto Raptors select Jeremy Lamb from the University of Connecticut. Now, explain to us what you like and don't like about Jeremy, and why you think he'd be a good fit for the Raptors at that spot. Well, he he can really put the ball in the basket. He's one of the more talented perimeter scorers that you'll find in this draft. Uh, even though he only shot around 33, 34% for three this year, I think he will be a very good shooter in the NBA. If he has a little bit more structure around him, uh, a few kinds of offense with a little bit of a mess this season, and uh, I think that he, he really has um, unbelievable scoring instincts um, coming off screens, deep range on his shot, the ability to, to make tough shots off the dribble, and um, I think that's something that has to be appealing to the Raptors. You know, there's a lot, a lot of uncertainty in their, you know, at their wing position at the 2-3, have a, you have a, a very talented scorer in DeMar DeRozan who isn't really much of a shooter. So pairing him with a, with, with a very good knockdown shooter like Lamb, I think, makes sense. Uh, he has great length, so he can, um, you know, he's going to be able to guard a couple of positions. So those are some of the things that I do like about him. In terms of what some of his flaws are, um, I think that he is by no means a finished product at this point in terms of his understanding of the game, in terms of his experience level, in terms of knowing uh, how to compete uh, on a consistent basis, possession after possession, especially on the defensive end. He gets a lot of steals, but he does it very often by gambling in the passing lanes. Um, he lacks a little bit in the ways of, of toughness, um, uh, you know, he's a guy that kind of hangs his head a little bit when things aren't going his way. But these, uh, you know, he, he's a very late bloomer. He was not a top 100 recruit coming out of high school. He really didn't show up on any mock drafts until late in his freshman year. You know, had a phenomenal NCAA tournament campaign. Really was the glue guy for that, you know, championship. The UConn team came into this year with huge expectations. And he was a little bit, uh, you know, up and down. But uh, I think if you're looking at pure talent, and Jeremy Lamb, you know, ticks all the boxes. So uh, I think he's going to be he's going to be one of the guys in the group for Toronto. I spent quite a bit of time yesterday talking with Brian Colangelo, and he admitted he said, "Hey, uh, we're going to have a very large group of players here. I think that this is the type of draft where uh, you know a player that you have at eight could also be someone that could fall, you know, to to fifteen. So um, and they're going to they're going to really go through an extended process here. I think they're going to bring a lot of players in." And I think it's going to be a while until we really get an accurate sense of uh, of who their final candidates are. So um, it's going to be interesting to see everything play out. John, you mentioned it. After we get out of the top three or top five almost, there seems to be a huge, maybe 10 to 15 guys there. Could you see the Raptors potentially trading down maybe out of their eight spot? We've heard in Brian Colangelo's comments immediately after the lottery that this wouldn't be something he would be opposed to. Oh, absolutely. I think that... If they latch onto a guy and that they think uh, is is more likely to go at the bottom portion of the lottery, if they can pick up another asset, if they can you know move a contract they don't like, if they can take on a young player, um, I think that they would they would have to look at that. And I think Brian expressed that they have a lot of flexibility with their cap space and you know their 
in the, their roster. They have a lot of young players that are coveted around the league. So, um, and they have some veteran guys that are coveted around the league too. So, I think that they're, it's a very interesting position that Toronto is in. And I think Brian expressed that he's going to explore all options. It's going to be a very busy time over the next month. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of enthusiasm in that front office and very hard workers. So I'm sure that they're going to be, you know, beating the pavement here and uh, trying to find the, the, the best options for them. Jonathan, one guy I'm still stubbornly high on is Harrison Barnes. I know he's already seen his stock drop a bit over the last year or two, but do you see any way or any scenario where Barnes slips through the cracks and is actually available at number eight, or do you think it's pretty much off the board for the Raptors? You know, uh, I, I think that absolutely he could be there at eight. I don't think it's any kind of sure thing that Golden State would go with him at seven. I mean, I don't think it's a sure thing that they're going to keep that pick at all. I think that they're going to be exploring all kinds of trade opportunities. Uh, their general manager, Bob Myers, already came out and said that uh, they're going to be looking for a veteran small forward, and then that pick is available. So looking around the NBA here, any team that has um, you know an expendable small forward and is looking to, to trade up into this draft ahead of Toronto, I think is going to be talking to Golden State. So um, who knows what who those guys would be targeting. And, and in that scenario, Harrison Barnes could absolutely fall to eight. Or, you know what, he could he could be gone at four. I mean, Chris Grant was a huge fan of Harrison Barnes last year. I know that they were very disappointed that he didn't declare for the draft. So it would not surprise me at all if they decided to, um, to go with him at four. They have a huge need at that small forward position. So I think that, uh, you know, I wish I had some more definitive answers for you here on May 31, but this is, you know, the uh, the beauty of the draft that there's so many scenarios out there that are still, to, you know, left to be played out, and uh, I think we're going to learn a lot in the next couple of weeks in ter- as, as workouts uh, unfold and interviews and, and, and physicals and, and measurements and all that. Another guy I'm really interested to see, and another guy who's also like Barnes, seen his stock just take a tumble over the last couple of years is Perry Jones III from Baylor. This is a guy with the talent that some people thought he could have been the number one or two pick last year and then even heading into this year. You have him at number 12 to the box in your mock draft. Do you just think it's his inconsistency and his attitude that's the problem? And if a team can get the best out of him, what do you think the ceiling is for him? Yeah, I mean, a guy like Terry Jones, it really comes down to how much you value production in college. If that's something that you're big on, then you're probably not going to be a huge Perry Jones guy because he did not really um, play up to his potential the last two years, and, and there were many games where he was nowhere to be found. So um, while there's absolutely a, a very good chance that he's not a finished product at this point and that there's still quite a bit of room for improvement for him, there there's a long line of guys over the last few years that have had those kind of red flags of being completely unproductive that didn't pan out, you know, even though they were drafted high. So he's uh, he's definitely one of the biggest enigmas of this draft, and and I think that you know whoever whoever picks him is 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 going to want to really uh, you know be a very thorough look at him, not just physically and in terms of his skill set, but also you know uh, mentally and you know figure out his, you know his intangibles and, and and just what the likelihood of him achieving his potential is. So. Um, I think that his upside, I mean, is off the charts. If you want to talk about, you know, comparisons, I mean, people throw out all kinds of stuff, you know, whether it's Lamar Odom, 
or Rudy Gay or, you know, these, you know, hybrid um, three fours, you know, with phenomenal athleticism and, and, and all kinds of skills. And I think that, you know, in terms of talent, he's, he belongs in that mix, but we just haven't seen him put it together on a consistent basis, uh, not in high school at any point and, and not in the last two years in college. John, the Raptors clearly have a hole on that, one of the wing positions. And two other guys that I wanted to get your opinion on, Dion Waiters has been rising up draft boards with uh, great workouts. We've heard Chad Ford quote uh, GM as saying he has a little bit of Dwayne Wade in him. Another guy I wanted to get your thoughts on was Evan Fournier, who you were really familiar with. From the tape I've seen, I've been really impressed. Can you tell us what you think of those two guys? Well, Waiters is a guy that I think will be in the mix for Toronto. I think that they're definitely going to bring him in for a workout and that they're going to give him a a pretty good look from what they've told me. Uh, He's uh, one of the more physically developed guards in this draft. He's has a, uh, kind of reminds me of Tyreek Evans and just his ability to kind of bully his way to the basket and, and just kind of brush off contact and, and finish at the rim and get to the free throw line. Uh, so, I mean, he, he's definitely appealing in that aspect, just, you know, that pure shot-creating ability and ability to draw fouls. That's something that's very much in vogue in, in today's NBA. So he's got kind of a wide range. Um, I think that his window definitely does start around eight, with Toronto, and I think he's going to get very strong looks throughout the lottery just because this, this is not a very good class in terms of guards. You see a lot of teams that, that do need guards like, um, you know, like, like Toronto, like New Orleans, like Portland, like, uh, you know, Phoenix. Um, so I think that he's, uh, he's, he's a guy that is, is definitely all over the board at this point, but, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where he, where he ends up. And then, your second question about Evan Fournier, um, I like him quite a bit. I think that he's intriguing. Um, I think that if if he played uh, here in the U.S., uh, if he went to college, I think that he'd be a guy that would be more highly regarded. I don't see a lot of players in this draft who are six seven uh, with a, a very um, you know nice NBA frame who can create their own shot the way he can. He's got all kinds of moves in his arsenal. He can change speeds. He's got great footwork. He gets to the basket. He's very, very elegant in everything that he does. And, uh, you know, I think if he was a better shooter, people would be a little bit more sold on him. But he has not been consistent in that regard, even though he has very nice shooting mechanics. And it's tough to look at his mechanics and say, hey, this is not, this is a guy that, he's probably going to develop into a pretty good shooter over time. So um, I think that workouts are going to be very important for him. I know that his agent really wants to put him in front of as many NBA people as possible because he feels like he he has a guy that is very much underrated. So I I could see him, you know, putting together a strong run here in the next couple of weeks and and really moving up the boards as more NBA GMs get to see him. The, The problem is that playing in Europe this year, there weren't a lot of other first-round prospects, so a lot of executives did not get out there as much as they would in a normal year. For example, last year when you had Valanciunas and, and, and Biombo and Besseli and, and Matiunis, and so they would take a trip for two weeks and they'd go see everybody. A lot of people didn't want to travel to Poitiers, France, just for one game and, and then come back home, so I think that hurt Kevin a little bit. But um, the fact that, you know, you can do all these workouts, you can go to the Euro Camp, you can go to the NBA Combine, 
I think that um, that's going to give him the ability to uh, to move up the, the charts here as uh, as we get closer to uh, draft night. Jonathan, there's a group of seven guards that really kind of boggle my mind right now in terms of trying to distinguish between them, and I'm wondering if maybe you can give your opinion on who do you think is going to have the best NBA career out of these guys. And those seven are Dion Waiters, Damian Lillard, Terrence Ross, Terrence Jones, Austin Rivers, Kendall Marshall, and Jeremy Lamb. To me, I, I just see the Raptors end up picking one of those guys at eight if they do keep the pick. Does one of those guys really stand out to you as the one that will separate head and shoulders from the rest? I'm a big Kendall Marshall fan. You know, I'm just looking around the NBA. If you're a team that's really trying to improve at the point guard position, really trying to find a floor general, someone that can run an offense and get everybody involved, you don't really have a lot of options there. You know, I mean, once every couple of years, a guy like Chris Paul will come up and say, I want to get traded, and this is where I want to go. And very rarely will he say, I want to go to Toronto, or I want to go to Milwaukee, or I want to go to Atlanta. You know, he'll, he'll, point, he'll, he'll point out, I want to say, I want to go to L.A., I want to go to New York, I want to go to one of the cities. So if you're one of these, uh, you know, um, smaller market teams, which I know Toronto is a very large media market, but uh, in terms of the way that they're perceived by free agents and all that, if you're one of those teams, then you're, you're really the only way to get a player like that is through the draft. And uh, so that's why I'm, I like a guy like Kendall Marshall. There's nobody else like him in this draft who, who just makes everybody better the way he does. His court vision is unbelievable. He comes into every game thinking, how am I going to get my teammates good shots? And, um, and that's very rare. So uh, I know that there's a lot of downsides to him in terms of his lack of perimeter shooting, in terms of his, you know his, his lateral quickness and all that. But I think you see it with guys like like Andre Miller, guys like Ricky Rubio, guys who have that kind of special feel for the game that they find a way to be productive despite all that. So I would put Kendall Marshall at the top of that list. Some of those guys are, are more wings. For example, Terrence Ross, you know, he's he's more of a of an outside shooting type, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, that's that's how I would have him. But, you know, the beauty of this draft is that, you know, everybody sees things differently and, that, you know, when you talk to 30 NBA GMs and they'll have those guys ranked 30 different ways. So it's going to be really fun to see how, how it all plays out. Jonathan, I've just got one more for you. And being up in Canada here, obviously there are a lot of eyes on Andrew Nicholson out of St. Bonaventure. Just wanted to get your thoughts on his pro potential. I like Nicholson quite a bit. Um, I think that um, he's a guy that could have a long future in the NBA, uh, you know, being 6'9", with, with a nice frame, with, with long arms, uh, a very good feel for the game, and, and, and a high skill level. He's a guy that can step outside, he can make a jump shot, he can put the ball on the floor, he can score inside the post a little bit. He's not going to wow you with his athleticism, and uh, he's a guy that, you know, going to work out, it's, it's, it's funny because some people kind of want to write him off immediately because he runs a little bit funny and he, he doesn't look the part, you know. I mean, it's funny because you're, you're, when you're a brilliant guy like Andrew Nicholson, you would think that everybody would be attracted to that, but some of the NBA people are kind of uh, turned off by that a little bit, which seems odd to me that they would, you know, they wouldn't want, you know, uh, a guy with that kind of IQ in their locker room. But um, I think that he's he's going to have a good career. I don't think he's going to have a great career. Uh, career. I don't see him having 
all-star potential. He, he doesn't, you know, wow you with his upside. But I think that, you know, every NBA team needs to have, you know, four solid big men in the rotation. And, and it's very easy to see a guy like him being one of those four players. Before we wrap it up, Jonathan, I just wanted to quickly shift our attention to Toronto's 2011 pick, Jonas Valanciunas, who, of course, won't be a rookie until he's with this year's class. People in Toronto and within the Raptors organization are obviously high on him. But from an outside point of view, what's your take on Jonas Valanciunas? Is the hype worth it? I think the the hype is worth it. Um, I think that the Raptors made a very, very smart long-term decision last year, um, taking Valanciunas, knowing that He's a year away from coming over. I think that it's really going to pay off long term because I think he got a lot better this year, and I think that you know that having that extra year on his rookie contract, um, you know, in today's NBA means everything. You know, from a cap management standpoint, um, I, I think that people need to set the expectation level at a realistic place. Um, he's not going to come in and you know and light the world on fire. Uh, but I do think he's going to be very productive as a rookie, and, and I think that he's going to get better, you know, every single day. He's the type of guy that has a huge competitive drive to be the best player he can and, and to help his team win games, and, and that really means a lot when you're looking at an 82-game season. Um, you know, he, in terms of, uh, you know, his length and, and his rebounding ability, I think he's going to do that. He's going to rebound from day one. Uh, offensively, I think he's going to be um, a little bit of a work in progress. He's going. A lot of it is going to depend on what Toronto puts next to him. I think that a guy like Jose Calderon is really uh, is a great you know uh, point guard for him to have early in his career, just because he's such an unselfish guy and he, he's really really good on the pick and roll. So I think that I think that's going to be important for him and. Um, I'm excited to see him. You know, he's uh, I've been scouting him since a very young age, and he's uh, he's improved remarkably from the first time I saw him. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch next year. Okay, Jonathan, this has been exactly as enlightening as enjoyable as I thought it would be. Uh, thanks a lot for going overtime with us, and we'd uh, love to have you back on sometime after the draft, so you can perhaps talk uh, suicidal Raptors fans off the ledge. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, the pleasure is all ours. And uh, please, please make sure that you uh, go to draftexpress.com, the king of all draft sites, uh, every day to uh, to get your, your draft information and uh, latest mock drafts. And, uh, you, you know, just as importantly, make sure you follow Jonathan on uh, Twitter, at Draft Express. All right, we're going to take a break and return with more Raptors draft talk here on Raptor Blog Radio.